Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 26 on how Isaac is in God's will and in God's land that he promised him. But there's a famine in the land and the mistake he made and that we can make in going back down into Egypt. We appreciate you listening to the Friendship with God radio program with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. And as a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Tom Cantor has a heart to reach Jewish people, so he founded Israel Restoration. Now, Israel Restoration Ministries is an outreach ministry that evangelizes and reaches the Jewish people with our missionaries that work for us full-time, part-time, and even volunteers like you around the nation that go out and take the gospel to the Jewish people with Israel Restoration Ministries materials that are geared towards reaching Jewish people with the gospel. We do that by giving out millions of copies of Tom Cantor's life story on DVD, as well as his book on frequently asked questions and prophecy and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ being the Jewish Messiah. We also give out these wonderful fourfold tracks from Israel Restoration Ministries on the Ten Commandments and how we're not good enough, but we ask the question, Are you good enough and have you kept the Ten Commandments? These are incredible gospel witnessing tracts that use nothing but Old Testament scripture about the Jewish Messiah to be able to witness about him in the New Covenant. So if you'd like these Old Testament gospel presentations from Israel Restoration Ministries, we've got a pack of 20 for you, and you can call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can also call us if you'd like to make a donation of any amount. It's tax deductible to support Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries with Jewish Evangelism. So our website is friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, teaching us from Genesis chapter 26 on how Isaac was in God's will and God's land that he promised him, but a famine in the land drove him down into Egypt out of God's will. Now, how can a person who is having his wells destroyed one by one, being pushed around like this, be so composed? How does he do that? Well, one way he does it is by a typical Jewish trait of making a joke out in the midst of a very horrible situation. You know, the Jewish people that would do that when they would arrive at the concentration camps in Germany, they would joke about, this is all very nicely well organized by the Germans, <laughs> laying out all these camps, and they would ask questions like, what time is the last time you can ask for room service? And it's that joking manner here that Isaac has when he names the wells. He says, okay, we'll call that one striving. Now we got one room. They made room for us. So we see in verse 9 that Abimelech calls Isaac and says, behold, of a surety she's thy wife. How saidest thou? She's my sister. And he says, yeah, it was a shame. So here he is. He's standing there in shame. He's got no reputation before Abimelech. He's been caught in a lie. Does he try to fight back and say, well, she's really my sister? to some stretch of the imagination like his father Abraham did. He doesn't do that. Not how, he just remains composed. He remains content. He's being rebuked. He's trusting in God to help him. He isn't standing up. And God rewards him. Because now we see here in verse 29, Abimelech says, Thou will do us no hurt, as we have not touched thee, as we have not done unto thee nothing but good. <laughs> That's funny. And we have sent thee away in peace. That's funny too. Then he says, thou art now the blessed of the Lord. You're the blessed of the Lord. See, he starts off and he's the liar, but now they see he's like a prince. He's blessed of God. 
And then we're going to see that Isaac is going to be betrayed by his wife, Rebekah, and his son, Jacob, who are going to conspire against him to deceive him. So he's got no loyalty from his wife or his son. And what are we going to see? We're going to see Isaac retaliate against his wife and his son? No. We're going to see again, he's composed, he's content, he trusts God, he waits God for the resolution, and he goes through an almost instantaneous reconciliation with his wife and with his son. And the evidence that Isaac was composed and he was content to trust God and he waited for God to resolve the problem there is that he harbored no bitterness. He held no bitterness. Oh, what a goal. What a goal to come to our deathbed with no bitterness against anyone. And you really see this no bitterness when you look down at verse 27 when it says Abimelech went to him from Gerar and Ahuzza, one of his friends, and Phicol, the chief, the captain of his army, and Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing ye hate me, ye sent me away. See, he, there are three men who are responsible for Isaac's expulsion from the land. There are three men who are responsible for Isaac's persecution. They might as well have asked him to wear a yellow star. And for destroying his wells, they might as well have had a crystal knock. And he says to them in verse 27, You hate me, and you sent me away from you. And so what does Isaac do to the people who hate him? What does he do to the people who expel him from his land? I'll tell you what he does. It says in verse 30, he made them a feast and they did eat and drink. He makes them a big dinner. He says, let's just eat and drink together. That's Isaac, like Reuben. Like Deanna said, that's Reuben. This is Isaac. Isaac says, you hate me? You've exiled, exiled me out? I'm glad you came. Let me make you a dinner and we'll eat and drink. We'll have a great time together. See, if Isaac had any bitterness toward them, He would have said to himself, how soon can I get rid of you? You make me feel so dirty. I need to wash after you go. But that's not Isaac. Isaac says, I'm so glad. Stay, stay. We'll eat. We'll we'll have a, a feast, not just a snack, a feast. And we'll eat and have a good time. See, when Isaac did that, when Isaac made that feast, he was doing exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying in those passages there, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 43. The next verse is after the ones we read. 43 for 44. You've heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Make a feast for them. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Seeing you hate me. Curse you. You sent me away. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth his rain upon the just and on the unjust. See, when Isaac makes that feast for his enemies, you picture God in heaven saying to those around, look at that, just look at that down there. Look at what Isaac's doing. Do you see that? He's loving his enemies. He's doing good to them. They've despitefully used him. They have persecuted him. But look, he's like me. I send my good son on the unjust and the rain. Isaac's acting like me. Isaac's really my child, Scott says. See, Isaac's the kind of person, he's very pleasant to be around. He's just a pleasant person to be around. There are some Jewish people like that. (laughs) You can't help but love Isaac. You can't help it. And on the surface here, Isaac, in his composure and his contentment and his submission, he appears weak because he's yielding all the time, but he's waiting on God. And in reality, Isaac's very strong because God undertakes for him. He's got a quality that we all need. Isaac has the quality of self-restraint, which on the surface there, it makes him look weak. 
but it's his strength. It's actually Isaac's strength. His self-restraint is his strength. See, God's watching us, and he says, are you going to restrain yourselves and suffer even to have wrong done to you? As a matter of fact, that's what God means. He says, I'm searching for someone like that. I'm searching for a person who will restrain himself. And that's in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. See, God's eyes, they're running back and forth throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those who will restrain themselves and wait on God to resolve the problems as they stay in Isaac's state of composure and contentment, trusting God. Self-restraint honors God. And it's the self-restraint that's sensitive to God, gives up his own wishes. That's what self-restraint is. Self-restraint is giving up your own desires. And nowhere is that seen more dramatically in the life of Isaac, who favored Esau when he gave up his purpose to bless Esau when he realized that it was God's purpose to bless Jacob. Isaac restrained himself by giving up his purpose to bless Esau, and that was Isaac's great triumph. That was Isaac's Mount Moriah. See, a Mount Moriah experience for Isaac, that prepared him. Because when Mount Moriah, that left a huge stamp on Isaac's life. That the life that wins is the life that restrains itself, and it's willing to give up its own purpose to follow God's purpose. And Isaac is that person. Isaac gave up his own desires, his own wishes to follow God's. He's a meek person. He's a gentle person. You know, you look at Isaac's life and you don't see any great exploits in his life like Abraham. But his greatness is his composure, his waiting on God. And for that, God blesses him. And God makes him ascend to great riches and honor. He doesn't make a big splash. He's calm. He's non-aggressive. He's quiet. He's passive. He's meditative. God blesses him. And God did not come to Isaac and tell him, you know, Isaac, my best friend over here is Abraham. And you don't have the personality that Abraham does. So you've got to change. He doesn't do that. <laughs> Isaac trusted God, obeyed God. God blessed Isaac. Just that simple. Now, the first words in this chapter, as we've seen here, are that there was a famine in the land. I mean, this is, we're kind of trying to get into Isaac's shoes here a little bit. I mean, now he's in the land. This is the land that was promised to his father, was promised to him, and he looks forward to being the land on his own with God. And how's he greeted? With a famine. I mean, how could there be a famine in this great land that God had promised to give him? I mean, we can imagine how he thought. Everything's supposed to go well now. It's supposed to be good. I'm in the land. And he might have asked the question, what did I do wrong that there's a famine in the land? What did I do wrong? There must be a reason. I, it must be with me. must be with me. I've done something wrong. I caused there to be a famine in the land. You know, Moses said in Leviticus 26, 3 through 4, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield your increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So maybe Isaac asked himself the question, what did I do wrong? Is there anything wrong that I've caused there to be no rain? That's a natural question. That's a very natural question. When we first come to the Lord Jesus Christ, most of the time, there's a short honeymoon. Then lots of problems come. And problem comes like famine in the land. And we ask ourselves the question, what happened? I thought everything was going to be good now. What's this famine in my life? Did I do something wrong for there to be a famine? 
We'll continue with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God, in just a moment. To learn more about Tom Cantor, you can go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor also has another website, IsraelRestoration.org. And on IsraelRestoration.org, you'll learn about our Jewish evangelism outreach ministry to the Jewish people, the most unreached people group in the world. They need to know about their Messiah and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, his lost Jewish brethren and sisters that need to come to a saving knowledge of him. And we take the gospel to them, and you can take the gospel to your lost Jewish friends, your neighbors, your coworkers business people, acquaintances that you have, doctors, someone that you encounter that's Jewish but needs to be saved. We'll give you a free gift from Tom Cantor. To reach them, you can fill out the online form at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us 800-247-3051. This was just like the disciples. When the disciples, when they saw a man that was born blind, they asked the question, who did sin that caused this man to be born blind? See, that's what they asked in John 9, 1 through 2. It says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents? It's got to be one of them. This man or his parents, that he was born blind. See, they saw the problem, and they thought to themselves, there must be someone, it's either got to be him or his parents, that's the reason for him to be born blind. I mean, maybe the man was going to sin a terrible sin later in life and he got the judgment early or something. I don't know what they're thinking. But maybe the parents sinned, or, and so the judgment was that they would have a son born blind. See, they didn't know, and they didn't expect the answer that the Lord Jesus Christ gave them. Because the answer, in verse 3-8, through eight, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said thus, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? See, in his answer, the Lord Jesus Christ was crystal clear in stating this man's blindness had nothing to do with the judgment for any man's sins. He said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. And then he further explained in verse 3, This man was born blind so that the works of God could be made manifest in him. In other words, this man was going to experience wonderful works of God within him. And so his blindness was like a slate, like a palate. And so personally, this man was going to experience something wonderful in him, and it was called the wonderful works of God within him. Then the Lord went on next to explain who was going to do that wonderful work of God in him. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. See, it was going to be the Lord Jesus Christ himself who was going to do that wonderful work of God in this man. So the result of this man personally was that he was going to discover that it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself who is the wonderful worker of the wonderful works of God. As we saw last week in Isaiah 28, 29, this also cometh from the Lord of hosts who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. So I remember 15 years ago, 
when I was in Grossmont Hospital, and Dr. Ron Goldberg came into my room, and he introduced himself to me, and he told me he was going to do the angiogram on me that day, where he found an 85% blockage in the Widowmaker artery, put a stent in it, gave me a picture of it, because I asked him to prove it. <laughs> See, he was the wonderful cardiologist that did a wonderful work in me, <laughs> literally, close to my heart. I always tell him, you work close to my heart. So what happened was, when I came out, I thought, well, yeah, he's a wonderful cardiologist. Dr. Goldberg is a wonderful cardiologist, did a wonderful work. See, and that's the way this man came away. He says, oh, well, he's a, wonderful, he's a wonderful God. The Lord Jesus Christ did a work in me. This blind man was born blind so that he could discover the wonderful Lord Jesus Christ that would do the wonderful work of God in him. If this blind man had not been born blind, he would have not had a reason to come to the Lord Jesus Christ because of blindness and discover him. See, that blind man came to the Lord Jesus Christ for his blindness, and he settled for eternal life. See, verse 1, there was a famine in the land, and so the issue here is the question, why was there a famine in the land? Who did something wrong that there was a famine in the land? Why was there a famine in the land? So that Isaac could experience the wonderful works of God in him. And that was the life-changing passage there for Isaac when he discovered that it was God who was going to save him through all these troubles because he stayed in the land where the famine was. Yeah, I remember Semenyu and how much this portion in John 9 meant to Semenyu who had a terrible deformity in his spine in Ethiopia that made him look like the letter L and put him in a lot of pain. And he lived with his parents in a mud hut about 200 miles north of Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. And when he went to school, he was in so much pain that he couldn't sit in the seats in the school. He just laid in the dirt in front of the schoolyard. And the kids used to come out and bring him some food and some water. And he told me, the kids used to ask him, what did you do wrong to have this terrible deformity in your body? And he was tormented all through his life with what he did wrong. He couldn't figure out, what did I do wrong to have this terrible deformity? And one time he couldn't stand it any longer, and he, he knew the only help, help he could possibly get medically would be an artist, so he just went out to the road and started hitchhiking and got picked up by truck drivers who brought him into Addis, and then he started to beg on the streets. And eventually, a Jewish doctor friend of mine, Dr. Hodes, saw him there, picked him up off the streets, took him to his home, had him live there along with the 40 other kids who were living at his home, and then he sent him to Ghana, where they did a lot of surgery and reset his spine just to sit on his hip, his hip bone. Also a lot of pain, but at least to straighten him out. But he was always in torment. What did I do wrong? And one afternoon in the backyard of my attorney where Semenya was staying in Washington, D.C., I showed him this passage here in John 9 about the blind man. As I read that, who did sin? He said, yeah, that's what I've been asking. And then the Lord said, no one sinned. And he said, really? I mean, he would put himself right there in the blind man's position. And when he read that, that no one sinned, it was like a light went on in him. He couldn't figure out what he did to deserve that and how he'd been tormented. And I told him that his deformity was like that of the blind man and the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to do a wonderful work in Semenyu for salvation, like he did in the blind man for salvation. And he bowed his head there and asked the Lord to come into his heart to save him from his sins. It was Semenyu's deformity that caused him to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and experience the wonderful work of God, the salvation in him. It was the blind man's blindness that caused him to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, experience the wonderful work of salvation in him. The famine in the land that caused Isaac to experience the wonderful work of God in him. 
the wonderful work of God that was done in the blind man was not just for the blind man's benefit. That's why I kept reading in John 9, 8 where it says, the neighbors therefore, and they which had seen him that was born blind, said, is not this he that was sad and begged? See, God so loved the world and the neighbors of the blind man and those that saw the blind man that he gave his only begotten son that if they also would believe on him that they also should not perish but have everlasting life. See, as the neighbors of the blind man and saw him, that's the wonderful works of God. They saw that. And that led them, that led them to know that the Lord Jesus Christ could help them if they only say the two words help me. So the blind man's blindness is not just for the benefit of the blind man, it was for the benefit of the neighbors and those that saw him. And the famine in the land was not just for the benefit of Isaac because of what it says and what we read in verse 28. They said, we saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. See, because of the famine and because Isaac stayed in the land of the famine, everybody in the famine saw certainly that the Lord was with Isaac. So the famine was not just for the benefit of Isaac and that he got blessed, but it was also for the benefit of those who saw Isaac. They saw the wonderful works of God done for Isaac. And that showed them, it showed them who the God of Isaac was. And it led them to know that the God of Isaac could help them if they just said the two words, help me. But for Isaac, when there was a famine in the land, he was tempted to ask, where's the help of God now? Why am I here in this famine in the land? But as we see in here, God had a higher purpose for Isaac's trouble. And when we have trouble in our lives, the famines that come to our lives, we're tempted to say, where's the help of God for me now? I've got this trouble in my life. But as we've seen, God had a higher purpose in Isaac's case, in the blind man's case, in our case, to show the loss what it means when a child of God receives the help of God and goes through the same troubles that the lost go through. So Isaac... He had this famine, and so he made the logical decision, which was, when there's no food, you go to the place where the food is, Egypt. And in verse 2, the Lord appears to Isaac in his first vision. He's on the way down, and you'll notice what the Lord says to him. In his first vision, he appears to Isaac. First of all, it says the Lord appeared to him. It doesn't say an angel appeared to him. It was the Lord himself that appeared to Isaac. It's another instance when man saw God himself who, of course, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it says the Lord appeared to him, it means the Lord appeared to him. So the Lord told Isaac to not go down into Egypt. And Isaac's already on his way to Egypt. But God changed Isaac's plans midstream. And Isaac could have said, but the tickets are purchased. (laughs) I've got to go to Egypt. See, that's like Paul. He had already made plans to go to Asia to bring the gospel. And he told everyone, I'm going to Asia they probably have a good Bible party for him, you know. But the Lord stopped him from going to Asia in Acts 16, 6 through 10. It said, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Missa, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Messiah came to Troas, and a, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So just like with Isaac, Paul was already on his way to Asia. He was on his way to Asia to bring the gospel. Just like with Isaac, Paul saw a vision, but it wasn't the Lord this time. 
Paul saw in his vision a man of Macedonia asking Paul to come over and help him. And so Paul changed his course towards Macedonia, and the reason that Paul gave was that they assuredly gathering that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel in, in Mesopotamia. That's interesting, that the Lord redirected Paul with a vision of a man asking Paul to come over and help them. And from that vision, he understands that that means that they should preach the gospel to them. See, that's a great description of what it means to preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel is helping people in their need. We hope you enjoyed our study from Genesis chapter 26 here on a Tuesday with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. Tom Cantor is the CEO of Scanabody's Laboratory. He's also the 2009 Whistleblower of the Year, and he's also a great Bible teacher, and you can hear him at Mission Valley Community Chapel in San Diego for more information on where Tom Cantor is going to be speaking and teaching. In fact, Tom Cantor just returned from a Jewish evangelism conference in Houston, Texas. There are a lot of Jewish people there, and Tom Cantor, being a born-again Jewish believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to train others how to reach lost Jewish people with the gospel. And he did that out in Houston, Texas recently with a Jewish evangelism conference. If you're a pastor and would like to set that up at your church, uh, please call us and we can give you more information on where he's speaking or how he can speak at your church. You can call us at 800 800- 247-3051-800-247-3051. You can also learn more about Tom Cantor by going to friendshipwithgod.org. We have an online bookstore with many resources, some of them for free, listening and download, as well as videos and training and teaching, and also an online bookstore. Now you can also make a donation that's 100% tax deductible. No administration fees go towards your donation, and all of it goes towards this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism outreach ministry. Call us to donate or receive resources and information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.